I, I've really enjoyed that translation. And it's got some like 70s era kind of language in it. It's really interesting, um, but really cool. And hey, whatever, I was born in the 70s, guys, so I can actually claim like it's, it's for me. Anyways, that, so that's what's led me to just be in the Gospels and really just soaking in, in who Jesus is. So we get to Matthew 8, um, and the, the, the last part of Matthew 7, so as he finishes the teaching and Jesus comes, it says he comes down the mountainside, it says there that the crowds were amazed at his teaching as one who had authority. And, and it says then, beginning in chapter 8 in Matthew 8, and you can open up and follow along, it says that large crowds followed him. Now, perhaps, you know, there's something here. Jesus coming down the mountain, because Matthew is very intentional in saying, he came down the mountain, and it's like he's entering then into the real world of people. Like there's, some, there's a shift and he's just, and, he's, and so then he's teaching and he's interacting with people and he's in just the real lives of people and, and, he's, and he's all sorts of situations and that's what a lot, a lot of the next part of Matthew is, is Jesus just interacting with people and teaching as he goes. So, you know, I, I say that because the gospel is not idealistic. Right? Like the gospel is something that it's not just an ideal. The gospel is meant to be touching our lives. Like we're interacting with Jesus. He is in our lives. And so it leads me to ask the question, because I think this is what the people at the time were asking is, what are we going to do with Jesus? Like, like what kind of man is this? How, how do we perceive Jesus? What, what do we do with him? And, and because, and I, and I ask that question too, because, you know, I think I, I look at my life and I go, okay, like, what, where am I prone to put Jesus in boxes? Like, what boxes do I have for Jesus that I'm, I'm comfortable with him here, and this is sort of the, what I've created, and this is sort of how I'm comfortable with him, and this is, or this is how I've been taught, and this is how I've, you know, the experiences I've had, and this, this is Jesus, what, what am I, where am I comfortable with him? You know, what are my perceptions of him within this box or boxes? What, what, what has shaped my opinions of Jesus? Like, what has shaped your opinions of Jesus? Because all of us have opinions of Jesus, how we read of him, how we perceive him, that, that our lives, it's been shaped by our lives. It's been shaped by all number of things. What are, what are the voices and the influences in our lives that are speaking into our lives that then are, are influencing how we read and how we see him? How do I approach the Gospels? It's one of the big questions that I've had. And, and so this is how, how, I mean, one of the ways, how do I approach the Gospels? Well, Jesus is alive. That, that's the first way. I, I approach it as, I'm not reading just history. I'm not reading about this man that walked there 2,000 years ago. I'm reading about Jesus who is alive, that the Jesus who we meet in Scripture has not changed. He, he's the same Jesus today, now. And, and Hebrews, right, says Scripture is living and active. Like, Scripture is alive. This, this is alive. As we read this, it's actually alive for us. 
And, we, and Jesus is God. Right? He's, he's, he's both fully man. He walked this earth as a man. But he's God. He's, he's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. And so, you know, one of the questions then that, that I ask is, am I, am I willing to have Scripture shape my understanding of Jesus above all else? Not myriad of other stuff. And yes, like the Holy Spirit speaks today, the Holy Spirit's moving, he's active today, right? He's working in our lives. But the Holy Spirit will never, ever contradict this book. Ever. In fact, I was thinking about that this week, and I'm like, it's an impossibility, actually. Like, he can't. The Holy Spirit actually can't contradict this book. Not that he'd want to, but he can't. He, he's, he's part of the Godhead. He is, he's God. He's, he's part of, he's the Spirit of Jesus, there's this full unity of the Holy Spirit with Jesus. He would never contradict what is here. So I want to, that's all a bit of a preamble. Uh, I want to invite you to follow along in this chapter. I, I've, I've been really challenged how the Lord is, is challenging me how to preach. So I'll just, I'll say that, that I I'm, I'm, feel like he's been challenging me to, preach a little bit differently. Um, and so how that flushes out, I don't totally know. But I, I want to invite you to follow along with me in this chapter. We'll have the verses up behind me as we go through. Uh, I don't think I'll read all of it. I'll read some of it. Feel free. Let, let's, let's be engaged. If you've got your Bible, get it out. If you've got your phone, get it out. Like let's, let's be in the Word. Let's be in the Word together. So, the first part of, of Matthew 8 is this call to faith. It's, it's, now, faith too, I just want to say, faith as an idea, as a word in Scripture is, it's huge. Like, like I'm not going to touch on all of faith in a message, right? It's just faith and, and, and what faith is biblically is so massive. Um, but here, faith there's faith specifically talked about in regards to healing. And it's, it's pointing to really, I think, a bigger question, too, of, of how do we respond to Jesus? There's, there's the healings here. We see the healings. There's, there's first the leper. Then there's the centurion who comes to Jesus. Then there's Peter's mother-in-law. And then there's the many that come. And it's kind of this systematic thing that just happens here. And, or at least that's the way that Matthew's laying it out. And so you, we, we have these these instances where we see the leper comes to Jesus and the leper says, Jesus, if you are willing, if you're willing, we see the centurion come to Jesus and he says to Jesus, just, just say the word. And then we see the crowds that are brought to Jesus and it's obvious, I mean, they're, they're coming out of this desire and this, but this expectation, like Jesus is going to do something. And, and I wonder, like, when we read of this stuff, when we read of the healing of the leper, we read of this healing of the, of the servant of the centurion and all the others that came to Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law, how, how do we perceive this today? First century versus 21st century. That, right? Because we've had so many advances in science and medicine and, and how we look at, at healing. Right? We talk about, well, 
you know, doctors have been gifted and, 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 and God's given them abilities to heal and, and to, yes, true, right? And science and all sorts of advances in medicine, we, we've seen this. And so maybe we go, did Jesus heal more then than now because there was a greater need? I don't know. Do we think about that? Is that, is that how we look at this? Do, or do we, do we over-spiritualize these accounts? Like we take what Jesus physically did and we kind of make it into something, a spiritual lesson. And, and again, not n- noting that, that Jesus at times, actually even himself, he did at times heal physically to speak to a spiritual issue. Right? I, just, I just read this the other day, Mark 8, where there's the blind man where Jesus comes and he spits, he spits in his eyes. Okay, I don't know what you want to do with that. And then he touches him and he's not immediately healed at first. Right? He has to touch him a second time. Jesus didn't need to touch him twice. Jesus could have actually just spoken. He didn't need to touch him. He didn't need to spit on him. He didn't, have, he didn't need to do any of that. But he did. And, you know, we... It, it seems to be pointing to a larger theological issue of, of being brought out of blindness, right? This, this spiritual thing. Anyways, not to go down there. But, but So there is that. There's healing that points to larger kind of spiritual stuff that Jesus was doing. But he also just physically healed. And, I, and I've, like, I've been really struck by that as I've read through the Gospels. Um... I, again, you know, maybe we've got to put a bunch of disclaimers on this. We like to put disclaimers. You know, this, like, this, um, th- this isn't a formula. We're not, we're not talking about a healing formula. You do this, you do that. Oh, boom, you'll, for sure you get healed. If you pray this amount of time, you'll get healed. No, we're not doing that. We, we recognize with healing there's mystery, there's the unknown. We don't know all the answers. But, and I think there's a but here, it doesn't cancel, cancel out the need for faith and for asking. That's what I was struck with as I read Matthew 8, that these people are coming and they're, they're asking Jesus. They're saying, Jesus, I, we need this. I need you to heal me. If you're willing, just say the word. It's interesting too, right? Like, like there's... So this is one of the things that I've been really trying to remind myself as I read through the Gospels and, and, I'm, and as I'm reading through this chapter is, okay, what, what is standing out to me that I go, man, like, that's odd. Or why did Jesus say that? Or why did he do that? Like, there, and there's tons of that. Tons of that in the Gospels. He says to the leper, he says, don't tell anyone. Like, I think you read that sometimes, you go, why, why would he say that? I think, at least partially here, this is reminding us that Jesus healed personally. That Jesus touched that man. Specifically that man. He's an outcast. He's a leper. He's separate. And he tells him, go and present yourself to the priest and and get the priest to do the offering on your behalf, which was commanded in Leviticus. Get him to do that offering for you. You know why? Why? so that he would be accepted back into society. He, he was separate. He was outcast. He wouldn't, people, don't touch, don't touch. Unclean, unclean. Keep them separate. And Jesus is like, I want you to be brought into the community. It, Jesus is going, this is about restoration. It's not about you going and telling everyone. It's for you. 
What, what struck Jesus? Like we read here the centurions. So again, just context, right? The, the centurion's a Gentile. He's, he's not a Jew. To have a Jewish rabbi come into your home as a Gentile was a no-go. That was not culturally acceptable. So when he comes to Jesus and he's like, just say the word, it's, pro- it's partially because the centurion's going, you can't come in my house. I, I, know, I know my social status. I know who I am. I know who you are. But he, he goes, just say the word. And, and Jesus, Jesus baits him. I believe Jesus baits him because Jesus says, shall I, shall I come and heal him? Jesus knows all the cultural stuff. So Jesus is saying to him, should I as a Jewish rabbi come into your Gentile home? He could have. And, but but he's, I think Jesus is willing something. He's, he's seeing this centurion where he's going to go. And he says, just say, like, I understand. I have men under com- my command. I understand authority. I understand Jesus. I understand your authority. Like he, and, and he got it to such a level. Jesus obviously was, he's amazed. It says Jesus was amazed at this guy's faith, which is like really astounding in, in the bigger picture of what's happening here. So what, what struck Jesus about this centurion? What struck him about this guy? What was so amazing? He sees in him this, this faith, this trust, there's this belief, there's this expectation. Jesus, you're going to do it. And Jesus says, he says, truly I tell you I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Do do we understand with Jesus saying those words, if there's anyone within earshot who's a Jew, they're going, what? Like that is offensive what Jesus says. It's, It's like, that's not like just a little, it's like, you said pardon? This guy's a Gentile. We're, he's a Roman centurion. He's working for the Romans, and you're talking about his faith, Jesus? And so then Jesus, and, and, and it's, again, it's one of these, I find odd in the text. I'll say I find it odd, and I, and I think it's really interesting, thought-provoking, that Jesus then kind of shifts a little bit here, and he uses this to touch on the coming of the kingdom of God's kingdom. And, that, and, and the coming of the kingdom is this theme that's just all throughout Matthew. I mean, Jesus tells parables about it. He talks about this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So there's lots more of that. But really what it was, is he, what he's, he's getting at is that Israel was God's chosen people. Like he's saying, they, Ephesians says this, they, they had all the promises. They had the covenant with God. They had everything. Everything was given to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. They had it all. And, and what Jesus is getting at here is like, you have all the advantages, and yet you still don't see. This, this centurion sees it. Now, is it you don't see, you don't want to see? There seems to be that, that tension that Jesus is dealing with with the people. You, you don't want to see. Your eyes are blinded. 
it leads me to ask the question, I'm going, what, what advantages do we have? What advantages do we take for granted when it comes to following Jesus? We, we've got so many advantages. No, you know, I was going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna. to. Yeah, I could get into Jesus in, it, later on. He talks about, he tells parables of the kingdom of heaven, but for time, I'm not going to go there. Um, but Jesus, obviously here, he sees this faith lacking in people. There's something he, he touches on here because he's seeing there's faith that's lacking in the people and this guy who comes to him, this centurion, this, this Gentile, this guy that's outside, there's something that Jesus goes, you've got it. Right, and so I think I, think I want to, like always, I want to be placing myself in the text and asking, where, where am I at? How, how do I respond to Jesus? Because these, these accounts, I find it interesting, they grow from an isolated thing with the leper, and they're growing larger. That by the end of this, this account here, all of the people who are sick, all the people who need to be touched by Jesus, all the people who are dealing with demonic stuff, they're all brought to him. So it's this thing of like, it's an isolated thing to then a wider response. And I think it sort of puts before us how am I going to respond to Jesus? Am I coming to him in expectation? You know, and, and, and I think too, like even that little detail about Peter's mother-in-law being healed by Jesus doesn't really give us a whole lot other than Jesus saw that she's ill and he heals her. And it tells me this isn't, this isn't abstract, right? So if Peter and the disciples are going, oh, but this is for the crowds, this is for... That person out there, no, no, Peter, it's, it's for your family. Peter, it's for your mother-in-law who's sick. It's for our families. It's not for like, healing isn't abstract. And so, I think here, what I'm really struck by and what I'm challenged with is faith for healing. Praying for healing. Like, all of that, and, and, and being challenged in, in our 21st century North American, you know, full of medicine and science and all this stuff, actually going, no, praying, Jesus, you have power to heal. And I'm not just always going, you know, to what society and culture would say is the norm of how we approach sickness, and I'm not, and I'm not discounting any of that, but challenging going, Jesus says, I'm willing to heal. And, and are we, are, do we have this, this posture, this desire of expectation? And, and when we're in need of going, I'm going to go to Jesus. And, and again, it's so interesting, right? Matthew connects this to Isaiah 53, 4, where he says that this was to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah 53 is the kind of the suffering Messiah um, part of Isaiah where it's, it's talking about how he took all of our sin and we, we, we see it as him on the cross taking our sin and bearing that. But Matthew also connects it to physical healing. It, it is that, but it, Matthew seems to say this is actually for healing. 
In fact, uh, John Stott, I, I, I liked this comment in his commentary on this. He said, healing today is a sign of the kingdom. I wonder if we think about that. Like healing today in 2022, praying for healing, expecting God to heal, wanting God to heal, praying that God's going to heal. All of that, the sign of the kingdom. Okay, so let's go on. So I'm going I'm to read verses 18 to 22 here. So then when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I think this is this is this section is sort of it's kind of two two questions. Will you come? Will you follow? There's all this stuff going around Jesus. There's there's this excitement around him. He's healing, he's touching people, people are coming to him. And then it sort of transitions. And it's like Jesus is going, Are you gonna come? This first guy that comes to him, it's a teacher of the law. So he's a religious leader. And he seems to be, at least from his comment, like he's captivated by Jesus. I kind of, he says, I will, I'm, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. It seems like he's kind of caught up in the moment almost, right? Like there's this, this fear and this excitement around Jesus. And he's seeing what Jesus is doing. Whatever, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm with you. I'm coming. And... It kind of, I, I get the sense that this guy was kind of getting a little bit carried away, caught up in, if you will, and Jesus is like, okay, you, you realize what we're talking about here. Do, do you realize, like, your life, the comfort you have, the, the home that you have, the place that you're situated, that, that's not me. I, I, don't, I don't have that comfort. That's, that's what he's getting at. I don't, I'm... I'm Kind of a nomad. I'm going and you're, are you coming with me? Like, is that really what you want? Um, it seems, and, and, and this seems to always have been a constant tension for Jesus, right, with people, that, that he's sort of dealing with this, where it's like they're, they're talking and they're making pronouncements and they're like, they're like I'm going to do it. And Jesus is like, do you know what this is? So, <laughs> like Jesus is saying to this guy, if you follow me, this is going to radically change your life. It's not like a little thing. Like, I, my life is one of couch surfing, dude. I'm not like, any of you, any of you ever couch surfed? Anyone here, in their, anyone admit in their younger days that they couch surfed for like maybe a month or two? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know yours. I'm not going to tell your story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Any, anyone else couch surfed in their life? Come on. Okay, there, see? There's not... I never, I never did. Um, okay, now just remember too. Do, do we remember in these, as these, this dialogue's happening, Jesus and these people, Jesus knows their thoughts. Do you remember that? Like, Jesus knows their hearts. He knows everything. There, there's nothing. You ever think about that too? Like, I was thinking about this week going... 
how did that work with Jesus and his family? As his mom's talking to him, oh yeah, hey mom, I actually know what you're really thinking. How'd that go with his brothers and his, and his family? Like, oh yeah, oh really? Yeah, yeah, whatever buddy, I know what you're thinking. Like, did Jesus have a switch that he just like, he decided, oh today I don't want to turn that on? I don't, we don't know, right? Did, did he go, oh today I'm going to like, I'm going to know everything that you're thinking. We don't, but he, but we know from scripture that he had the ability to know hearts and minds. So he, right, he knows what is going on with this guy. Whatever's, whatever he's saying, he knows what's really is going on. And then, and then we, we get to the next guy who says, okay, Lord, like, like, just first let me go and bury my father. Let me, let me, let me do that. And then I'll, and so Jesus, and Jesus' response, like, let the dead bury the dead. Like, you kind of go, like, are we kind of go, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. Have to, like, have to understand, within the cultural context, what Jesus is getting at is that this was about family obligations. What the guy was really saying was, let me go and, like, deal with my family obligations. Once I feel like my family obligations are sort of tidied up, and, I, and I'm comfortable with this, then I'll, then I'll obey you. And I'll follow. And Jesus is like, dude. Sorry, I, I've been reading the way. But he's like, dude, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Like, this, this isn't, I mean, whatever. Like, like, it's your choice, but this is, if you're going to follow me, it's like, you're following me. You, you know what I like about this with Jesus? And this is what I, I really appreciate about him. He, he's not... He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to sell us something. He's not trying to market something to you. He's not trying to, to persuade you or, you know, all that. There's a cost. I, I'm, I'm just telling you straight. He's like, there's a cost, guys. I'm not going to try and, like, sweeten the pot for you or make you, you know, you don't, there's fine print that I won't tell you until later. Boom, it's here. This is what it is, guys. You want to follow me? And, and you know what? There's something there for us. There's something about maturity for us. Because it's the thing of, there's a choice. There's a choice when it comes to Jesus. And, and Jesus is treating us as, with maturity, going, yeah, follow me. Come. This is what it is. And there's something here about, too, when the call of discipleship comes, don't miss the boat. Which is also interesting because then the next thing is when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders, or sorry, no, sorry. Then he, verse 23, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. I, I find the progression here of the text and what Matthew's doing is fascinating. Jesus says, will you follow? He gets into the boat and it says the disciples followed him. That's not a little thing. That's a, they followed him. So, you know, and Jesus defined in the Gospels, right, what it meant to follow him. He, he, he doesn't get into it here, but throughout the Gospels, we see what it means to follow him. It's, and, and again, it's not, it's not a we have to follow him. It's, it's we want to follow him. So what, what does that mean? Well, Jesus talks about it. It means abiding with him. It means being with him. It, it means... It means 
listening to him. It means obeying him. It, it's all of that wrapped up in that's what it means to follow Jesus. If, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you, if you want to follow me, this is the way. Now, in that too, I think it's good to ask ourselves, why did Jesus come to this earth? Like, what was Jesus' purpose? What fueled Jesus while he was on this earth? And I think because Jesus says stuff that's hard, Jesus said stuff that will, will apprehend us, Jesus says stuff that we're going to go, I don't like that. I get that. I, I read the text and I'm like, I, I don't like that. And, I, and then, the, why did Jesus come? Because he knows the heart of the Father. Jesus is here to do the will of the Father. I do whatever the Father tells me to do. That's all that I do, Jesus said. So Jesus is someone who, he's looking at people and he's going, I know what you need. I know what you need. You need relationship with the Father. You're lacking relationship with the Father. I'm here to do the Father's will. The Father loves you. He wants you. And I'm here because I see where the enemy's at work and where, the, and where he's the father of lies is lying to you and telling you lies. All that stuff in the Gospels. And he's like, come. And I, I think amidst the hard and the challenging stuff, it's really good to keep that in view for us constantly. What is Jesus doing? What's his mission? He's here on behalf of the Father. He's revealing the heart of the Father. He knows what's best for people. He knows what brings life, and he knows what brings death. And he's saying, come to me. And that's the story, right, of human history. The story of human history, and to this day, is we desire to go our way. We want our way, our way, our way, our way. Every week, every week we battle with that. Let's be real, guys. Every week you battle that. I want to go my way. Jesus is like, this is my way. No, I want to go my way. <laughs> that is the... That's the tension. And from a human perspective, again in this, and what Jesus is getting at is, there's sacrifice and there, yes, there is loss in following Jesus. From, from a human perspective. right? From, from, what a human, from what the human perspective will say, I don't think I want that. It's fullness of joy. So we need a kingdom perspective for our lives. Like, like we, we really need a kingdom perspective. And I think that's, that's the beauty of Jesus. Is he's like, he's constantly going, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like on earth as it is in heaven. Right, we sang it this morning. Jesus, you brought heaven down. Why do we sing that? Because Jesus did. He came announcing the kingdom. This is the kingdom. And, and what is that? Well, it's, it's God's work on this earth, right? It's God, God's coming to work on this earth. We are called to be a part of it. We're called to have purpose and meaning and relationship with him. We're, we're living for eternity. We have this, this eternal mindset that, that is always before us. We're not just living for the things of this earth. We're not just living for our phones. We're not just living for the next whatever, this release of this movie or this release of this movie. Or we're not just living for fantasy football drafts. Oh, that <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that. I might have a little bit of a problem with that. 
I'm not going to talk about, you know, buying, like, the next vinyl record that you want. <laughs> a little too close. What, right? Whatever. It's like, whatever we, what are we living for? The next, the next, the next. Whatever that is, because we all, we've all got that wrestling, that inclination to live for the next, the next, the next. And it's like, kingdom. Kingdom. Perspective. Okay, so this is where I want to end now. We go on. And, and I've, 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 this section of the text I've, I've labeled decision time. Dun, dun, dun. Decision time, are you ready? Again, I, I already kind of ruined it. Jesus got into the boat, verse 23. The disciples followed him. So they're following him. And, 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 and it, it's this question. Okay, who is this? Who is this? Am I going to follow him? Where, if I'm the disciples, I don't, there's a part of this where it's like, okay, where, where is this going? Jesus is telling us to get into the boat. Okay, where are we going? Where is Jesus taking us? What, what excitement and adventure awaits us next? Where is he going? I remember um, way, way back, like way back, longer than I want to admit, uh, I was part of a team that went to India. And we, uh, so, we're, we're young, and we, we fly into Mumbai, and we had a, a quick, we, like, okay, so like jet lag is, like I think it's like an 11-hour time change to India. So we get into India, and like there's, we're dealing with crazy jet lag. And uh, we got into Mumbai, like, middle of the night. And I just remember being, like, just completely exhausted. We'd had a whole overnight in Amsterdam in the airport uh, layover. And so, and then we, we had a quick night in Mumbai. And then we were on the train the next day, and we were going to Hyderabad, which is in the, in the middle of India. And so then we get to this compound in Hyderabad where we're staying. It's part of this private school, and there's this compound that we were in. And, like, we are just, by this point, we are exhausted, like just completely, and, and all, the, all the excitement of that, that trip had like kind of worn off. We're like, we're miserable, we're tired. Like I just, I was like, I so badly want to sleep. Like I just so wanted like actual sleep. So, and the girls on our team, they get these rooms upstairs in this compound. From what I can remember, they were fairly, by Indian standards, pretty decent. And, uh, and then they're like, they said, well, we'll take you guys now where you're, you're going to stay. And it was downstairs, and so we get to this room, and it's, there's nothing in this room except metal beds, like just straight, flat metal. And I'm like, where? this is where you're sleeping. I'm like, I, like, I think my reaction was like, are you serious? Like, 20-year-old punk Canadian kid, you know? I like my amenities, and I'm like, that this is... Yeah, this is where you're sleeping. So, again, it's, what is expectation versus reality? How, how do, when it comes to following Jesus, how do we feel about the unknown? So, it says here in the text that a furious storm came up, waves sweeping over the boat. Uh, now, again, remember that, that, Matthew calls this a sea. Luke calls it a lake because the Jewish people had this thing with water. They didn't like water. And so, you know, but, but in their minds, this was a furious storm that came up. It wasn't 
Point is, it wasn't just a minor inconvenience, right? There, there's, there's those minor inconveniences in our lives that we don't like, but this was, this was something bigger. Do you realize that this, this next month will be, like, in half a month, will be two and a half years since COVID started? Two and a half years. And it's changed society. Like, whatever, whatever you think, it's changed. It's, it's different. Tons and tons and tons and tons of difficulties for people. Tons. Lots all over the place. Still continuing. Storms. Right? Storms. Storms in people's lives. Storms here, storms there, storms. The way that people are reacting, the way that... Storms. And Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping in the boat. And I don't know, I look at it and I go, the, the disciples' response is pretty typical, isn't it? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't we do the same? We'd go to, like, Jesus, you're asleep. Look, look, look what's happening. Why are you asleep? Wake up. What, what's wrong with the disciples' response? Do we ever ask that? Because Jesus gets up and he's like, it's a mild rebuke. Why, why are you so afraid? Uh, you're sleeping. There's a storm. Jesus seems to be suggesting there was another response that they could have had. Something along the lines maybe of storms are going to come at you. I'm with you guys. Storms are going to come. I'm with you. This, this is part of the reality of following Jesus. And, and I think there's, there's something here of us to go, Jesus is going, will you keep with me? Are you with me? I also think it's, I, I don't know, like the disciples would have known the Psalms well. And Psalm 107, there's, a, there's actually other references, but Psalm 107 is one where it says, it, it talks about in Psalm 107, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Storm, Jesus gets up, rebukes the storm. The storm is calmed. I, the disciples were probably going, maybe not in the moment, maybe with not all of the adrenaline happening in the moment, but as they step back from this going, because they ask in the text, right? What, is it, what does Matthew say? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of person is able to still the waves and a storm? Anyone? You know anyone that can do that? You ever been on a boat and a storm comes up and someone's with you and they can just... Psalm, I think they're looking and they're realizing and they're remembering the Psalms going, Oh my goodness, do you know who this is? I don't know, are they making the connection in the moment? Again, I don't know, or later... Now again, it says that they were also, it says here that they were amazed. 
It says, there's a, is there a connection when Jesus sees the faith of the centurion? It says Jesus was amazed. Now the disciples are amazed. What's the connection? I think there is one. I think the connection is, as we see Jesus for who he is, boom, the Lord himself, how can our level of faith, belief, trust, and expectation not grow? It's the Lord. Whoa. I'm amazed. What kind of man is this? That's a question. Or it's a version of it. The disciples are asking that question. That's a question that will define our lives. That's, that is a question that will define our lives. Who's Jesus? What kind of man is he? What, what do I do with him? What do I do with this? So, then we get to the last part of Matthew 8, the healing of the demon-possessed men or man. Um, Matthew has two men. Mark and Luke have one man in their account. There's some different theological explanations for that. I won't get into that. It's boring. If you're really, no, it's not. If you're really interested, I'm happy to talk about it. I don't want to get bogged down in that this morning. All that to say, it's the same story. Okay, so same story, demon-possessed Men, man. Um, Jesus has this miraculous encounter and heals them, right? Or the man. Demons come out. And um, it's Mark's account. It's a little bit more detailed. But it says that um, the people, when they came to Jesus after and they saw the man who'd been possessed by this legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And it says they were afraid. So this is the, Jesus, what did the pigs do to you? What did the pigs do to you? Like, you cast them out into, the, those, those are people's livelihood, Jesus. Why'd you do that? Th- those pigs were like, so why did Jesus do that? What's up with this? I wanna, and, I, and I think this is a really important connection. Part of it is that Jesus is reminding us and reminding the people that the condition of people is far more important than that of pigs. So if we want to get all wrapped up into what Jesus did with us, like the condition of someone and being dem- demonic, demonically possessed, demon-possessed, is far more important than a herd of pigs. But it's also, there's, there's some other things when you think about this, right? It's also definitive proof for the, the people and the men themselves that they had been healed. The, de- the, the, pig, the demons are cast out and, and it's a visual, like it, we visually see it. They're cast out into the pigs. The pigs go down the, the steep hill and, they, and they, they're drowned. Whoa. It also reveals the intentions of the demons, right? Their ult- what was the ultimate intention of those demons? They couldn't overpower that, the men or the man quite to the extent, this extent. But when, when they got into the pigs, it was to kill and destroy, which is what they did. It also, so it, it shows us the danger. It also shows us Jesus' authority. The demons had to ask him permission 
Like, I love that part of the story. It's like, no, 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 you can't just go wherever you want. You're not, you're not just like, no, no. They had to ask Jesus. There's so many, those little astounding details. I'm like, did we ever, I don't know if you catch it. I didn't at first. And as I was looking in Matthew, it, it, it's amazing. There's actually bookends to this chapter. At the beginning, it says, large crowds followed him. The end says, then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So there's this something about big crowds following Jesus. And now a big crowd coming and saying, we don't, we don't want what you have. They, they, they saw Jesus' power and it unsettled them. Like, they, what, what, what I marvel at in, in, in a negative way is that they, the, the crowds there, the town, they see these men who they knew had been demon-possessed for who knows how long. They had been completely out of their minds. They see them sitting there dressed and in their right mind. They see the power of God and what he's done in their lives, and they're like, yeah, we don't want that. We don't, we don't want any more of that, Jesus. You, you, sorry. You know the, that word pleaded there? That word, the Greek word peakaleo, is used three times here in Matthew 8. Um, it's used when it talks about the centurion urging Jesus to heal. Same word. When the demons begged Jesus to go into the pigs. And when the whole town pleaded with him to leave their region. It's the same word. And the contrast is sharp. What will our response to Jesus be? We see this. This is where the good news of Jesus meets the human condition. What, what do we want? Do we want our way? Or do we want Jesus' way? Jesus on his terms? Or Jesus on our terms? And, and the thing, Jesus will honor our desire. That's the, that's the amazing thing here. That the centurion parakaleoed with Jesus. The demons begged Jesus. And Jesus was like, yeah. So it's the human condition that we're left with that we all, as you know, we're going to leave here. We're going to go back into our various spheres of influence and what we do all that, and we're going, to be, we're going to be wrestling with our human condition all the time. And it's either going to be, I'm going to try and find the resources to make it within myself, or I'm going to see Jesus for who he is and my deep, deep, deep need for him. And, you know, there's something here, I think, for us to see that there's always two crowds. There's the crowd that's following Jesus, and there's the crowd that's saying, I, I, I don't, we don't want that. Now, I, I will say this, and I think this is important too, because there, there's invitation. The gospel is an invitation, right? And, and Jesus here in this chapter, 
He is willing, he is active, and he's engaged. That's the thing I love when I look at this. I go, when Jesus wants to meet with people, he wants to touch people, he wants to be involved. It's the invitation of the gospel. So how are we going to end? <laughs> Jen, why don't you, uh, you can come up. Um, you know, I had a thought this morning when we were singing. I can't remember what song, it doesn't matter. Um, as we read this, and we're reading about what Jesus did and who he was. You know that he already was the Jesus of Ephesians 2. Or sorry, Ephesians 1. Right? He, he like, maybe we think, oh yeah, that, that was written after, but, but he's high above all things. He's seated far above all things. Everything is under him. Everything. Everything is under the feet of Jesus. That, that, that was, this is Jesus now. It was Jesus then. It wasn't like, didn't happen after the fact. Are you tracking? Does that make sense? I'm struck by that as we were worshiping, going, this is the Jesus that we, we worship. This is the Jesus that we follow. He is above all things. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so active and engaged and you are meeting with us and you're meeting with people and you are, you're inviting us into this relationship. You're inviting us to follow you. And Holy Spirit, we, we wanna ask you right now, we invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to, to come. You're here already with us, but we, we wanna be, Holy Spirit, we wanna be intentional and just saying we need you to work in our lives and, and the areas where we, we, we know, we know that we are struggling with stuff and we need you, Jesus, to come and move and heal in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us into this relationship. Help us to follow you.